Hey, everybody. Welcome into another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. Our fearless host, Jason Ratliff, is, uh, is away this week, hopefully getting some, some R&R. Uh, so myself, Jonathan Mayo, and uh, Jim Callis, we're going to try to muddle through this week's edition, but we have plenty to talk about. I think, I think we can probably figure out a way to, uh, to get this done without Jason's help, Jim. Yeah, I think we, we've been known to talk uh, for long periods of time without stopping. So I'm, I'm confident we can go 45 minutes to an hour here and, uh, and get this done. So I'm not, I'm not too worried about that. And, you know, not only uh, are, are we capable of writing and speaking a lot of words, speaking of things that are happening uh, in bunches, uh, kind of awkward segue there, but I tried my best. Uh, Jonathan, you wrote a story at the end of last week. Uh, about what you dubbed the year of the prospect uh, with, with the you know amazing number of call-ups we've had this year. Uh, why don't you tell everybody, you know, when you, when you did some research, how, you know, how dramatic the, the number of prospects in, in the big leagues this year it was compared to years past? Yeah, it's funny because I really do think that we've used the term year of the prospect a lot in the last few years because it's become more and more uh, kind of important, uh, and, and the game has skewed younger, but it, it was striking just how many prospects have been called up this year. Uh, if you look over the course of the year, but even just comparing to last year, as of August 20th in 2019, there were 36 top 30 prospects in the big leagues and five top 100 prospects this year. 79 top 30 prospects and 23 top 100 guys. Now I'm willing to assume that by August 20th last year, there were some graduated top 100 prospects who were in the big leagues, but not to close that gap. I mean, more than four times as many top 100 guys, there have been just a, uh, just a vast quantity of guys being called up and it's more, it just seems there's more and more coming. And the story kind of really jumped into the the kind of reasons uh, behind it. Um, you know, some of it is just the, the normal, you know, if it's a rebuilding team. I talked to Jerry DePoto of the Mariners, and he was saying, listen, we're rebuilding. We, we started giving guys opportunities last year, and this is just a continuation of that. That's fine. But, you know, there have been a, a lot of different factors that have figured into why there have been so many call-ups uh you know the the rosters are bigger uh there have been a ton of injuries uh and i I think in a lot of ways jim the the last item is maybe the biggest one because i think over the years you know teams may not bring up a big prospect if he's not going to play every day because it's more important for them to get everyday reps or start every fifth day if you know if they're in if they're in a rotation in the minors from a developmental standpoint and while there are you know these sim league games uh you know all the reports i'm hearing is that they're you know as, as much as teams are trying to make it be competitive it's just not so they're not getting five at bats every day in the southern league or the international league uh, you know, they're getting a few at bats in a in a simulated game kind of landscape. So the idea of bringing up a prospect and not having him play every day, you're not taking away from his development necessarily. To me, that may be one of the biggest reasons why teams aren't hesitating to bring guys up. 
Yeah, I mean, the old cliche about, hey, you know, want him playing every day, you don't call him up to sit on the bench. Well, even if you call a guy up and he plays twice a week, you know, that's better. I mean, from, from what I've gathered talking to people um, with the, uh, you know, with the all-camp games, it's not like you're playing a full nine-inning game every day. Like, you know, guys are not getting daily game action. You might take some live BPs, you might get five at bats, but I mean, frankly, teams don't have enough pitching to, to, you know, have regular games. I don't even think they have enough bodies to field, you know, full teams in the field in some cases. So it's not the same. And, and, you know, it's interesting because, you know, just looking Jonathan at our, our, our top 100 prospects list, you know, there's, <laughs> it's easy to come up with guys who, who you know, who haven't been up yet, who, who could be soon. We still haven't seen Gavin Lux with the Dodgers. Um, Which is you know, still surprising, but yes. You know, you know and it's, it's, it sounds like, you know, it's weird because what gets reported, it, it sounds like he was late to camp for COVID-related reasons. I don't know if that means he had COVID or he was around somebody who had COVID, but it, it obviously, you know, set him back and he, and he wasn't ready to go at the beginning. But Gavin Lux could be up. I, I could see Mackenzie Gore. Um, you know, I'm rooting for him could be up. You mentioned the Mariners, you know, development opportunities. I don't know if you asked him, but, you know, any chance the Mariners might promote Jared Kelnick, who, I mean, we keep seeing all these great highlights of Kelnick, you know, crushing balls in all camp. Not much more he can gain, I don't think, from all camp this year. Is there any chance we could see Jared Kelnick in the big leagues this year? I, I did not ask him. I was very sort of pointed in what I was looking for, so I, I did not. But he did, he did say that they will continue to look – you know, for opportunities for guys. So I don't think it, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, you know, they've called some guys, uh, you know, some relievers who are further down in their top 30, uh, giving them opportunities. So I, I don't, I, I don't see, there's no downside. Like just let, let them come up and take a swings and, you know, unless they wanted to wait another, another year to get his, his service time clock started. But, you know, at this point I think, and, and that, certainly didn't keep him from calling up guys last year and, and so far this year. Uh, so uh, I, I would like to see him and we all would like to see him. So it would, it certainly, it certainly wouldn't surprise me. And yeah, the all camp, I've, I've been hearing stories about, you know, coaches playing in the field, um, you know, getting hurt. Um, you know, uh, I heard recently that uh, Josh Barfield has been playing some second base uh, and looks pretty good. So they've been joking that he's going to make a comeback and he's now the, Diamondbacks farm director. Uh, you've got pitching machines finishing games. You've had nobody playing left field, uh, which reminds me of like when you were a kid. You know, it's like a, it's an automatic out if you hit the ball that way. I, I don't, you know, but so they're they're doing the best that they can. I think that's part of the reason why there's been some talk about negotiating having additional players go, uh, so they act you know can get more work in. But that's not. I think there's a certain amount that can be learned from younger players who aren't anywhere close to being big league ready from being in that situation and being around, uh, you know, older players and things like that. But other than that, like you might as well bring them up. Yeah. And it's, you know, I'm looking at the top 100 list. You know, there's rumors Ian Anderson could get called up today. Logan Gilbert could get called up. You know, I mean, he's had success in double A. Nick Madrigal's on the DL. I mean, that I think is six or seven more top 50 guys in the top 100 and and just to, to touch on the point you just made you know it's interesting because i think depending on who's can't you know the camps are obviously different depending on who's there but I, I was talking to tigers yesterday and they were saying that obviously you'd rather have a normal season development opportunities but one thing that's been a positive for them 
is their top hitting prospects like Spencer Torkelson, the number one pick in this year's draft, Riley Green, who apparently has gotten added like 30 pounds since they signed him and, and just looks amazing after an amazing spring. You know, they're getting to face the Casey Mises and Tarek Skubles before they get called up, Alex Fiedo, Matt Mann. I mean, they're facing, you know, in a normal year, I think Riley Green at this point, given how well good he looked in spring training, he, Riley Green might have hit his way to high class A at this point you know, for the second half season, maybe. And Torkelson probably, you know, I, you know, if you were balancing how good he is with not getting too crazy, might have been in high class A, you know, making his debut right now. Well, they're facing pitchers who are a lot better than what they're going to see in high class A. So, you know, that in their case, that is a good development opportunity. But in other cases where maybe you don't have a deep farm system, especially in pitching, you know, you know how much are your guys really getting better? You're, you're getting to supervise them, but, but, but that, that's kind of uh, – that's kind of it. Um, you know, and I thought it was interesting too. I mean, how long did it, when I was looking at the story, Jonathan, how long did it take you? I mean, did you literally go over every team's roster and, and te- you know, player by player to see who was on a top 30 list? It's, I, I thought that was pretty interesting. I, I may have, I may have had some help from our crack research team. On okay. That one. I was yeah, just saying no, that, that, seems like that would, <laughs> that would take yes, a long time. It would time. have been very time consuming. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I will not take credit for, for, for that one at all. But uh, it was so stark that, you know, when the idea of the story was proposed to me and I saw those numbers, I'm like, well, I think, yeah, we have to write because it, it was so extreme that we had needed to talk about it. And, you know, it is interesting, I think, that you point out, you know, the positives with pitching. You know, usually you're you're going to be very careful in terms of pitch counts or innings or whatever it is with a pitching prospect. And you look in the big leagues now. Uh, because of the you know the rush to get to the season and and the extra roster spots, but most starting pitchers aren't going very deep. You're, there are exceptions uh, to to every rule, but there are a lot of instances where you know, teams are just looking for four innings out of their starter, and they're you know, almost doing like a piggyback kind of thing. So you could bring uh, a guy up and still be really careful about his his pitch count and and innings limit when if this were a normal season you know you may be more inclined to let guys go or if the bullpen's stretched out too thin and things of that nature uh, I think it fits right into what you would probably want to do for a prospect in general but particularly now since you know nobody has thrown a lot of innings yeah, no, exactly. So, I mean, I, I don't think, I don't know if we'll, we'll do a final tally and I don't know what the tally is overall for this year. Cause we've also had some top 100 guys graduate, graduate, you know, Dustin May, Mitch Keller, you know, graduated pretty quickly, but I mean, it, it seems like by the time the year's over, even though it's a shortened season, we might see, I don't know, 30 to 40 top 100 prospects off the current list, you know, which doesn't, you know, as you point out that, that you didn't even include, Guys like Isaac Prades, James Caprillion, Luis Garcia, Jorge Mateo, Monte Harrison, Justin Dunn, Tristan McKinnon. You, know, you could go on and on about guys who had been on a top 100 list who were also up. Yeah, the numbers are going to keep growing and growing, Jim. And there were a bunch of, of debuts uh, of top prospects since the last time we podcasted. But before we dive into that, a word from our sponsor. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. 
with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. All right, we're back. And we have a lot more to talk about in terms of these debuts. Uh, yeah, and Jim, it's just, I mean, one of the, one of the, the fun things, you know, I, I don't know if you get this question a lot, but just like, well, what are you doing right now? And uh, one of the things we're doing is keeping track of all these prospects uh, getting called up. And it was a huge week of top 100 guys getting called up for the, for the first time and starting, you know, starting with, I, I guess, uh, the, the biggest name, although there were a lot of big names, but that was, uh, Casey Mize, the, the number one overall pick in the 2018 draft. Yeah. Jim, I know. Yeah. Good. I was gonna say we were kind of excited, you know, cause yeah, well, speaking of guys, we were just talking about guys who used to be in the top 100 who aren't. He, he made his debut against a former top 100 prospect in Dane Dunning uh, last Wednesday. And they both, neither one, they both pitched into the fifth inning, both struck out seven guys, looked very good at times. Mize with his splitter, which I'll, I'll touch on in a second, and Dunning with his curveball. And the first time in modern baseball history, the two pitchers making their major league debut in the same game each had seven strikeouts. And you know, we, I will spare listeners my regaling of the, the 2016 Florida Gators pitching staff that Dane Dunning was on with uh, with five future first-round picks and nine potential big league arms, as well as Pete Alonzo and others in the lineup. But, um, you know, the crazy thing about Dunning in that game was that's the first time he's pitched in, in more than two years because we, we've had a number of guys who got hurt in 2018, had Tommy John surgery, and then because there were no minor leagues uh, this season – you know, he hadn't pitched in a game since the summer of 2018. So, so Dunning looked very good with his curveball. It was a spot start. He got sent down right after that. But, you know, Casey Mize was was interesting. Um, you know, he's pitched twice. He got knocked around a little bit last night. And while he's he's thrown strikes um, and he's missed bats, you know, to this point, he's seven two-thirds innings. He's got two walks, nine strikeouts. He's been hit around a little bit. You know, he, he, he's missed some locations with pitches. You know, I, I watched the first game against the White Sox in, in, you know, the whole thing. I didn't get to see the game last night. But, um, you know, it looks like – and I don't know if, if guys sometimes, like you said, big leagues overthrow a little bit and his location's been a little bit off. Um, his location was off, um, you know, in the fifth inning against the White Sox. He made a couple mistakes and got hit. He got knocked around a little bit last night by the uh, – the Cubs, but, uh, you know, Jonathan, you're, you're probably tired of me talking about his splitter, which, you know, ever since 2018, I called the best pitcher in that the best pitch in that draft. I think it might be the best, you know, pitch or secondary pitch in the minors. And it's unbelievable, uh, you know, how effective it is. And, and to me, 
the biggest difference maker with his splitter isn't just the velocity and the life, but it's he commands it better. Then I've had some scouts tell me he commands his splitter better than anybody they've ever seen. I mean, he's got, you know, premium velocity on it in mid eighties. He's got, you know, all kinds of vertical and horizontal life on the pitch. And yet you can't like a lot of guys with a splitter, you know, if you can identify it coming out of his hand, you just say, okay, I'm not going to swing at that because it's going to drop out the zone. You know, he, he showed against the White Sox in that first start, especially an ability to clip the bottom of the zone. And, you know, I'm not the the biggest stat cast guy in the world. You know, Mike Rosenbaum, our colleague, I think, you know, spends more time perusing the stat cast leaderboards than I do, Jonathan. But in that first start against the White Sox, and I didn't check, I haven't checked last night's numbers yet. You know, his splitter sat at 86 miles an hour and averaged almost 39 inches of vertical drop and a little over 13 inches of horizontal run. Um, and in the four years for which we have that kind of data available, no pitcher in the big leagues with a splitter has combined that kind of velocity and life, you know, on the pitch, you know, I, this year, you know, in Mize's first game, he threw 19 splits and among all the pitchers in big leagues who had thrown that many, he ranked 12th in velocity, 4th in depth, and 6th in run. Um, and you could see, I think even Jose Abreu gave him a little, almost like a little figurative um, tip of the cap. Tip of the cap after he, after he struck out. I mean, his his splitter was working really, really well. But it, it's you know interesting. I don't know if you watch any of those games, Jonathan. But like for these guys who are super polished uh, pitchers, you know, and Mize is as polished as anybody. You get to the big leagues, there's still adjustments to be made, which which he, he's finding out. Yeah, I think you know, to me. Without you know even diving into you know pitch by pitch and things like that, because he's around the zone too much, he's probably getting too much of the zone. Um, you know with some of his other pitches, but that splitter is you know you can almost tell guys that it's coming and it's not going to matter. Uh, so you know while I, I I don't think we've exhausted the the topic, so you don't have to worry about me being sick of you talking about the splitter too much because I think we can change the conversation. You know. And there are there are sort of two quick questions on that. Um, one, you said, "Oh, it's the best secondary pitch in the minors." Is it now the best secondary pitch in baseball? Period. Um. Well, you know me. I've been lobbying. I, I haven't done our Tigers list in a few years. I, I would put an eighty on the splitter. Um, I, that I was think my second question. So you already beat me <laughs> I, to it. I, I would go eighty on the split. I, I think. To be honest, I mean, he's had two starts. It's not like he's, you know, you know, just blown through two big league lineups, the White Sox and the Cubs. You know, they've knocked him around a little bit. I, I think he's got to establish himself a little bit more before we give him that. Okay. Although, you know, the, the secondary pitch could still be, you know, that pitch hasn't been knocked around. So him being knocked around doesn't take anything away from it possibly being the best secondary pitch. That's true. That's true. I'm willing to let him earn it a little bit. It's that's that's fair enough. Let him let him continue to do it, especially as teams get to see it uh, a, a little bit more frequently. Um, yeah, and we've never, I don't believe we we discovered this right that we've never given an eighty to a secondary pitch. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, we we've talked about this. I mean, you know, in terms of eighties. You know, Jason sometimes agitates, you know, why isn't this an 80? Or have you thought about making this an 80? And like scouts, not that you and I claim we're scouts, but scouts don't give out many 80s. I think it's a lot easier to put an 80 on stuff that's purely measurable. I think the most 80s we give, Jonathan, typically are to speed for a position player because that's based on, you know, the, the guy's running time or 
on fastball velocity. And we'll sometimes, you know, I mean, we'll play with grades a little bit based on command and life and all that. But it's, I mean, to put an 80 on a secondary pitch, it's got to be an unbelievable secondary pitch. And, and like I said, I, I would, I would go 80 on Casey Mize's splitter because I, I just don't think anybody can, you know, I, I was talking about how nobody had the combination of velocity and drop and run. Well, you know, so that's already unique. Nobody can, you know, has those three components like he does. And then you put on his command, which some scouts have told me they think might be the best splitter command they've ever seen. So they, I think you can go 80 on it. In which case, then we go back to the, then, you know, is it the best secondary pitch? But we're talking in circles now because how many 80 secondary pitches are there in Major League Baseball right now? I don't know. Um, to be continued on that front. But, uh, you know, the the next guy in the top 100 um, who got called up uh, that I was very excited about uh, was Christian Pache of the Braves. And speaking of, you know, 80s, you know, you could probably make the argument that you could uh, put an 80 on his defense, um, which I don't, I don't know that we've done. Did we do that with Buxton? I don't have to go. I don't think so. I mean, that's a, that's, it's a hard, it's a hard one to put an 80 on, but, uh, his ability defensively in center field is unparalleled. I mean, this is a guy who two years in a row, uh, we named the best defensive prospect uh and when we did polling of executives he was the one who was named the most and and you know defense can be a really subjective thing uh you know obviously there are measurables you know and there's data but it it's not as precise as you know some of the other uh ways to measure hitting or or pitching so and you don't necessarily key in on those on those things yet he was still far and away the the guy who was picked as the best defender and you know i thought it was really telling i interviewed drew waters his organization mate uh who is as as you know a, a confident young man and a very good defender in his own right and he was very quick to tip his cap and say you know pache is going to play center field because i asked him like when all three of them are in the in the big leagues together and the three meaning Waters, Pache, and Ronald Acuna Jr. He said Pache plays center and Acuna probably plays right and I'll play left field. And he you know, one of the things that's so amazing is Pache's got great speed and he's got uh, an unbelievable arm. His arm would work great in right field if you needed him to. His reads and routes and instincts are so ridiculous. Uh, the way Waters put it is that it's it's almost as if he's getting his first step before the ball is hit. Um, he just reads things so incredibly in that he, he's he, another thing that I thought was interesting. He's like, I don't know that I've ever seen him dive or he rarely dives. And that's not from a lack of effort. It's just that he gets there in time every time. So he he got up uh, one for four with a couple of strikeouts he may not be up for that long uh, unless that, you know, because, you know, Marcakis is uh, out uh, because of COVID. And, you know, he, you know, originally he was out and Acuna was out and Acuna's back. If Ian Anderson does come up, we're recording this on Tuesday morning and there was buzz that that was going to happen, uh, although there's no confirmation on that. Uh, he, he may end up going back down unless they want to try to figure out a way to work him into the outfield rotation. 
um, which would get a little trickier. Um, but again, to that point earlier where why not, uh, you know, you have the extra roster space and he doesn't necessarily have to play every day. Uh, maybe they will, they'll keep him up and he can come in for, for defense and, and pinch running and, and things, of, things of that nature. But it was, it was very exciting to, to see him uh, get the call up and, uh, you know, one step closer to that sort of dream young outfield uh, and Drew Waters is an alternate camp as well. Uh, so I don't, I don't think we're going to see him. Uh, if the Braves weren't competing, maybe you decide to turn it over. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that, uh, you know, Ender Enciarte hasn't been hitting at all. And Pache is a better defender. So you can make the argument that they'd be better off with Pache playing and Enciarte being more of a, of a fourth outfielder type. Yeah, and I, and I would make that argument. I don't think NCRT's defense has been as sharp you know, in the last couple of years either. He, he's giving you nothing at, at the plate. And you know, you're a Braves team that's been to the playoffs a couple of years in a row. You're, you're, you're leading the division right now. You know, you're, you know, with the expanded playoffs, they're not a lock. We're about halfway through the season, but it looks like their playoff odds are at about 95%. So, I mean, really, you know, you've got some margin for error. You're you know, you're not you're not just going to be satisfied. Hey, we made it to the playoffs. Great year. You, you, you actually, you know, you want to go farther. You want to win it. You know, you, you, you're building your your team that's been taking, you know, further steps each year. So to me, you want to have the best team possible. I, I would give Pache some playing time. You know, look, if he's not ready, then, you know, OK, then you go back to MCRD or at least, you know, let him split some time for a little bit. You know, platoon him, you know, lefty righty for, a little, you know, see what you have in Pache, because I think. I think there's a chance he might be a better hitter and a better defender than NCRD right now. So, so why not, why not do that? And it's, you know, it's, you get these questions, you know, you know, on teams that are contending when you bring up a young guy, it's interesting because a team that wasn't expected to contend. And I believe if the season ended today, they would be the eighth playoff team is the San Francisco giants. And, you know, the Giants had a very, you know, I don't know if it was totally unexpected situation, but when Buster Posey elected not to play this year, that left them with a tandem, a catcher of uh, Tyler Heineman and Chadwick Trump. And I'll be the first to admit, I do our Giants list, Jonathan, as you know, I'd never heard of Chadwick Trump before <laughs> he began sharing the catching duties for it the sounds Giants. Like a fictional name anyway. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's got a brother who who played too. Um, you know, I mean, he's you know he's you know twenty five, so it's not like he was the youngest guy in the world. But like, I had literally never heard of him, and and you know the the story I, I had heard and I've read in Giants camp is that Joey Bart, who was the number two overall pick in the two thousand eighteen draft, behind Casey Mize, I you know I had heard that you know after Posey made his announcement, you had pitchers and players on the Giants roster asking, you know, the front office officials, like, when are we getting this guy? Like, even before the season started, when they were in summer camp, you know, pitchers, like, throwing to him. You know, he's obviously got some power in his bat. Um, you know, he's got, you know, some, you know, he draws some walks. He's got some patience. And, you know, so it wasn't just Giants fans, but basically fans and players had been asking since day one, uh, or even before day one, before opening day, like, when is Joey Bart going to be up? And now, to be fair to the Giants, Joey Bart had not played much pro ball at all. You know, he was drafted in 2018, had his pro debut that summer. And then last year, he he broke um, 
I, I get the. I think he broke a. He's blown in his hand during the season and broke his thumb in the AFL when he got hit by pitches. So he he only played 130 games and a handful of of AFL games. He was. I mean, I thought. You know, I think you saw him too, Jonathan. He was the best player in the AFL in the first half of the season, wasn't he? Before he got hurt. Yeah, I think he got hurt by the time I got there. Okay, well, I, I guess I saw just a tail end, and then he they broke his thumb. But he, I mean, if you had a first half MVP, it probably would have been Joey Bart. So anyway, the Giants wanted to be cautious. I mean, yes, yeah, service time considerations play a little bit of a part too, I'm sure. And but the funny thing is, since they've called him up, and it's not been all Joey Bart, but they've won six games in a row to all of a sudden go from eight and sixteen to fourteen and sixteen. And I mean, that's baseball 2020. You have a hot week. You're you're a playoff team right now, um, and you know he's played pretty well. You know he's you know at the plate he's he's gone four for twelve, drawn a walk. He's hit three doubles. Um, he's acquitted himself well behind the plate. Um, you know I think he's you know they're pretty pleased with how he's you know with how he's looked. You know the impact he's had on the team. The pitcher's been very complimentary of him. And again, it brings me back to I like and I know. We say this all the time. You draft, especially in the first round of draft, you take whoever you think is the best available player. But I'm still surprised, Jonathan, that the Giants, two years after taking a catcher with the number two overall pick, and we're talking about a college catcher who's going to be ready quick, came back and took another college catcher in Patrick Bailey. Like if they'd taken Tyler Soderstrom, and we heard a lot of Tyler Soderstrom rumors, that would have made more sense to me because he's a high school kid. He's not going to be ready quick. And there's a chance that you might say, look, we just want to maximize his bat, so let's put him in third. Patrick Bailey's a college catcher who's going to stay behind the plate and be ready quick. So I, I still, I mean, me, I, I think it was just they took the guy they thought was the best fit for what they were trying to do, and they moved money around. But that still surprises me looking back at that. Yeah, yeah, and it's not like he was the best player on the on the, on the the board. So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out, I guess. You know, continuing the, uh, the the call up train. You know, so we Mize was number eight in the top 100. Pache 14. Joey Bart 15. Uh, I, I had all my you know we do as you you and I both know. Uh, listeners may or may not know or, or stay on top of whenever a top 100 prospect gets called up, we write a what to expect story. And I believe the news broke all in the same day that Joey Bart and I do the Giants, and two Marlins were getting called up, although they got spread out and got called up over three separate days. At one point, it looked like I was going to have to write three what to expects in one afternoon, which was pretty pretty crazy. I, I fortunately was able to manage workload a little bit better, but the, the next guy on the top 100 list who got called up is Sixto Sanchez, who, who's number 24 on the list. That's four of the top 24 prospects in baseball made their big league debuts last week. And, and Sanchez... Super interesting guy, um, you know, the guy who the Phillies kind of found by accident. You know, they were they were scouting a Cuban catcher at a workout in the Dominican. Such Sanchez signed him for thirty five thousand dollars. Quickly developed into one of baseball's best prospects. Became the centerpiece of the trade for JT Real Muto um, at the beginning. Uh, I guess it was January two thousand nineteen. Um, he had some injury histories in his past, but the Marlins handled him carefully. He was healthy last year, and you know, I mean, we talked about Casey Mize having stuff in command. So does Sixto Sanchez. I mean, he, his fastball usually parks in the upper 90s. Uh, his changeup, he's got, you know, his changeup is probably his best secondary pitch. He's got a, a slider that can be a plus pitch at times. He's averaged, you know, 4.6 strikeouts per walk in the in the minors. And, you know, his big league debut, you know, was interesting. He pitched over the weekend uh, against the Nationals. You know, five innings, six hits, gave up two homers. Um 
struck out four, didn't walk anybody. And kind of like we're talking about with Mize, even though, I mean, this is a fairly polished pitcher, you know, I think, you know, guys learn you have to be, you have to be pretty precise in the big leagues. I mean, he threw his fastball average, Jonathan, 98.7 miles an hour in his debut. But yeah, that's pretty good. But when it flattened out, I mean, you know, when he had, it's interesting because I'm looking at our, our stat cast numbers on his debut. And we have both his four-seamer and his sinker averaging over 98 miles per hour. And I'm going to guess that what was categorized as a four-seamer was obviously flatter and had less movement than those that were categorized as a sinker, even though the sinker velocity was actually higher than his four-seam velocity. In any case, the ones that were graded as sinkers, you know, the more lively of the pitches, uh, the Nationals went 0 for 4 against. The ones that were you know, straighter four-seamers had less you know movement to them. The Nationals actually went three for five with two homers off of and, and didn't swing and miss at any of them. So, um, you know, it's interesting, you know, to, to, to see the data. But, you know, the, the, the stuff was certainly good. You know, changeup was effective. He got three strikeouts with the changeup. They didn't do much with his breaking ball. But, again, I think it just reinforces, not that we didn't know this, but you know, even the guys who have this great combination of stuff and polish – the big leagues is a whole nother level. Plus, you know, we've talked about this on previous podcasts, Jonathan. Um, this is a really weird year to make your debut. You didn't have a normal spring training. You had like two and a half months. I mean, you were supposed to be keeping in shape, but you weren't doing organized baseball activities. You were theoretically back home, you know, or, or wherever trying to stay in shape. Then you rush back to summer camp, you know, which is not the length of a normal spring training. And then we got this odd season where, you know, because of COVID cancellations, like there's a lot more double headers already, even if there's seven innings. So it's, you know, and you're not, you know, when you're at all camp, like these pitchers we've been talking about, it's not like you're pitching in a game every fifth day, measuring yourself by your results. So I I think it's, it feels like it's harder. It's got to be harder making your debut this year than it would be in a normal year. Oh, I think without question, you know, it's uh, again, going back to that point of not playing every day in a, a competitive setting. Um, it's like going from instructs or extended spring training up to, you know, up to the big leagues. Yeah. You know, again, you're around older or more advanced players who are, you know, either, you know, close to the big leagues or have big league experience. Uh, so that helps, but it's, it's definitely going from, Maybe you're not going zero to 60, but like you're driving on the shoulder with your flashers on at about 15 miles an hour. And then you have to get up to 60 really quickly. Um, did I stretch that metaphor too far? No, that works. That works. All right. I mean, I think that could I be think some that's... snow and ice on the shoulder too. You're driving in the winter. Um... Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you want to, why don't you, why don't you continue with the, uh, the, the brother Sanchez and then <laughs> I'll, I'll circle back with one, one other top 100 guy. Sure. And, 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 and you were joking, of course, because Jesus Not and, related. And, and six, and that, and that was a great thing. Like, like Jason uh, asked, like, do you want to combine them? Cause, cause they were on the same flight, even though they were promoted, they, they flew with the team to DC on Thursday. Jesus was promoted Friday. Sixto was promoted Saturday. And Jason said, do you want to put them in one story? And it's like, I mean, you kind of could because it's easier. You know, we break down tool by tool and one guy's a hitter, one guy's a pitcher. So you could separate it. And I was like, you know, this could get way too confusing because they're both named Sanchez. Like, you know, I'm, I can't refer to either guy as Sanchez in the intro. So I said, no, let's just <laughs> let's just do them separate. But, you know, Jesus Sanchez, another guy 
who the the Marlins acquired last year. And, you know, we've talked in the past about how the Marlins over the last couple of years have upgraded their farm system, I think, more than anybody. You know, at the deadline last year, in a trade that looks like it'll help both teams, the Marlins sent Nick Anderson and Trevor Richards to the Rays for, for Jesus Sanchez and Ryan Stanek. And Sanchez, um, you know, it's interesting. He basically had, had been, you know, pretty much the best hitter on his team throughout his Rays career. Um, MVP of his team four years in a row, and he struggled last year. And I do think part of the reason he struggled last year is he was playing through a sports hernia, um, and you know, which he got repaired after the season. I wonder if, if I, I don't think the Rays gave up on him. I think they saw you know Nick Anderson's been very good for him, but I wonder if if Jesus Sanchez had been you know having his normal production, if they would have been willing to trade him, you know, like they did. You know, he, he's got a really nice left-handed swing. You know, it's interesting. He's a he's a natural right-hander, Jonathan. But when he was growing up in the Dominican, his older brother was kind of coaching him along, and made him bat left-handed because he wanted him to emulate David Ortiz. So he just it's like Jesus had to learn how to hit left-handed because his brother was determined he was going to be a left-handed hitter. But he's, you know, the, he he has a lot of upside, but there's adjustments to make. He he's got a lot of bat speed. It's a really nice swing. It, it's one of those things where he barrels the ball, puts the bat on the ball so easily, doesn't walk a lot. And what's interesting, he makes a lot of hard contact, but he hits a lot of ground balls. And and I think if if there's some if he can make some swing adjustments and put more balls in the air, he 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 did a better job of that last year. He's got more work to do. Get a little bit more selective, looking for balls you could drive in the air. I mean, this guy could be a 280 hitter with 25 homers on an annual basis. And you know, he's he's got average solid tools across the board. He's probably an average runner, more of a corner outfielder, but solid arm, solid defender. You know, I'm you know, I'm not sure in the long run when, when J.J. Blade, who was, you know, number four overall pick in the 2019 draft is ready. He's another corner outfielder who plays left, who plays right. We'll have to see how that plays out. And, you know, the, the Marlins are kind of in that, you know, I was talking about how the, the Giants were kind of accidental contenders. The Marlins after, you know, their, their extended COVID break, you know, and being one of the worst teams in the National League last year. Are actually over 500 right now. Right now, they would be your sixth seed as we record this in the playoffs. So they're kind of an accidental contender. Their outfield production has been pretty woeful. Now, that said, uh, Jesus Sanchez is off to a slow start. You know, he's he's one for 15. Um, you know, they've tried I think seven or eight outfielders. I think only Corey Dickerson and Magner Sierra have opses of even 750. So I think he'll continue to get an opportunity, but if he doesn't start hitting soon because they're contending against all odds, he may lose some playing time. But they're, I mean, you talk about fluid rosters, you know, with all the players they had test positive for COVID, um, it's been pretty fluid. But Yeah, uh, lots of people have been uh, been getting opportunities there. And I think the way they're going about it is right. You know, if they, if they end up contending and, you know, sneak into the playoffs, so be it, but... I think they need to sort of stick with the rebuilding development path and give the the young players a chance to play. And if that means that they sneak into the playoffs, that's fine. And as you pointed out, it's not like giving Jesus Sanchez a chance is taking away from a a veteran who's going to help produce and contribute to them making the postseason. And I think that would be backwards anyway for, for where they're at now. I think they know that this is a weird year and they're maybe for this stretch a little bit ahead of where they thought uh, they would, they would be Um, the last guy on the top 100 that uh, we wanted to talk about uh, was Tarek Skubal. And we talked about Casey Mize already. And 
uh, you know, the 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 Tigers at one point in time were one of those teams that was sort of playing a you know above their heads, but now they're what, seven and a half games out of first place and eleven and sixteen as we record this. Uh, and they brought up Scooble and Mize, you know, pretty much at the same time. And it's been uh, a little bit rough going. Uh, his second start, which came on Sunday, was better than the first. His first start, he gave up four runs and seven hits in two innings. And the second start, he pitched into the third, a very short leash. Uh, he, he just gave up one run on a homer. He's given up two homers now. But he did strike out five. Uh, so the stuff it, you know, was, was a little bit crisper. Uh, and, you know, this is a guy who last year in his breakout year missed over 13. Uh, I mean, he missed so many bets. It was more than 13 strikeouts per nine. Uh, was third in the minors in, in strikeouts overall uh, as he really jumped, jumped, you know, sort of onto the top 100 landscape and, and then some. And, like, talk about a, an unbelievably great scouting story. I remember hearing about him loosely because uh, I do the Pacific Northwest uh, for the draft. And he was at Seattle University. Um, he, you know, was drafted super late by the Diamondbacks in 2017 because uh, even though he had missed all of that year because he was recovering from Tommy John surgery. Uh, the next year, the Tigers took him in the ninth round. Um, he had returned. He showed some raw stuff, but it was it was very very up and down, uh, as is often the case coming back from surgery. But the Tigers went above slot and, and got him for three hundred fifty thousand dollars that year, and then he then he went out in his first full year and and showed why the Tigers liked him. I I I don't know that I can remember an instance where a guy went from big question mark all right good raw stuff i don't know maybe he's a reliever coming off the injury i don't to being you know one of the best left-handed pitching prospects in in all of baseball and when he is firing on all cylinders we're, we're talking four pitch mix all above average or better the fastball slider combination is ridiculous he commands the ball well uh there is a lot to like um you know so he kind of went from under the radar to on the radar to the big leagues in probably a lot more quickly than anyone would have suggested. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what he does uh, to build off of the improvement in what was his second uh, start, even though he's, you know, he's yet to go th through three, three innings. So it's almost like he's been an opener. They're, they're being very careful with him and rightfully so. Uh, but I'm hoping that he can, can continue to build on, uh, what looks like a, a step in, in the right direction for, for him and the Tigers. Yeah, it's I was going to say, Jonathan, it's interesting. Again, I mean, it, it, I think he's another one of these guys who is learning how you have to be even more precise in the big leagues. You know, he, I think Mike does the Tigers, right? I don't think either of us do. Yeah, I know I don't do Tigers. I shouldn't say either of us because I know it's In not conjunction me. with uh, Jason Beck, our beat writer. Right, exactly, exactly. That's right. And so they noted, when whoever were at the report, that Scooble, I think, led – the minors last year, everybody in the entire minor leagues in, um, in straight and swinging strike percentage, it was like 18%. And he's got one of those fastballs that I think because of, you know, the, the package of metrics and the way it plays, it just doesn't get hit. And what's interesting to me is it's actually been hit pretty hard in the big leagues. Like, like, you know, against his fastball, 
opponents are six for 14 with two homers, which is kind of surprising to me considering how effective it was. I mean, I know the hitters are obviously better, but that it was like this unhittable ball, uh, you know, unhittable fastball, even in the strike zone. And, and he's learning, you know, he, he's going to have to make some adjustments, but it's, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, developmentally. Yes. You know, the Tigers aren't going to, um, you know, probably stay in the race. I guess they're, <laughs> most teams are still hanging around. I guess the Tigers are, well, I guess they're already three back. So they're, they're probably be a playoff team, but with the Tigers and their pitchers, so many of these guys had had success at double A last year that, you know, this is a development opportunity. Even if Casey Mize and, and Tarek Skubal wind up with ERAs north of seven, it's going to show them what adjustments they need to make for 2021 and going forward. Because I, I, I do think, Jonathan, looking at the Tigers, you look at the pitchers they have coming, the hitters they drafted this year, plus Riley Green last year. I think the Tigers in 2021, 20, you know, maybe more 2022, are, are going to be respectable a lot quicker than people may realize. No, I think I think you're right, and just getting those guys up, and maybe we'll see Matt Manning, and then you figure Green and Torkelson in the next couple of years on the offensive end. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a lot of uh, fun uh, to to see as we move along, and we've got a few more things we want to get to uh, here on this week's edition of the Pipeline Podcast. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you, based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. All right, let's. Uh, we're in the home stretch here, Jim, and uh, you know we've talked a lot about the guys who just came up, but there have been a lot of guys who have been up uh, for all year or most of the year. Uh, you know, however you want to put it, and then some guys who surprisingly have come up and uh, done exceedingly well uh you know the, i think the the guy who just keeps on getting it done is kyle lewis and it was interesting because we we alternate uh in terms of what the our stories are one one is more like a a power ranking for rookies uh not quite uh who's going to win rookie of the year but more of a look at that uh and based on based on performance and then Every other week is a just sort of who are the hottest rookies, um, we, you know, for for that time period. And Mike Rosenbaum wrote the the hottest rookies this week, and I did the the power rankings the previous week. And you know, Kyle Lewis had I want to say slowed down because that's a little unfair, but it was settling back down into like more down to earth, and then of course went off again. Uh, and it hit 522 last week. 
Um, he's leading all rookies in hits and runs. Um, he slugged 957 last week. And even better, you know, the, the interesting thing was that in the stretch where he had s- sort of slowed down, he had cut his strikeout rate and upped his walk rate a little bit, but wasn't producing as much. And then this past week, he had seven walks and only two strikeouts, and uh, which is important because his strikeout rate was really high, even when he was hot. So you wondered, well, how long can he maintain it? Could he maintain it for 60 games? Maybe. But overall, he's 368, 456, 585, leading the American League with 39 hits. He's got seven homers and 19 runs batted in over his first 29 games, kind of picking up from what he did last year when he came up and hit a bunch of homers. Um, continues to be a really good story for the former first rounder who had that horrific knee injury during his summer debut and just took him a really long time to get back to being the guy that the Mariners thought they were getting. Um, so I'm beginning to think more and more that this is for real. Uh, I don't think he's going to hit 370 uh, forever, but the, the, the power and the ability to get to the power is, is legitimate. And then the other guy, he was number two on, on Mike's list was Jake Cronenworth. It was more of a, a bit of an unexpected breakout star. Uh, and, and now, like, I think talking about Jake Cronenworth as National, Rookie, National League Rookie of the Year candidate has got to happen. He hit 423 and slugged 692 last week while the team went 7-0. and uh, He hit a grand slam during that streak when the, the Padres hit, hit grand slams in four straight games. Uh, had four doubles, three multi-hit performances. Um, he's now hitting 347 and slugging 627 overall. Uh, you know, I he kind of made the roster as a super utility guy, um, and then just f- has forced his way into the lineup. Uh, you know, I think it started when Eric Hosmer was out. He started playing some first base and then was hitting. So now they just he, he can move around play all over the place and he's playing every day. The only thing that he hasn't done is pitch. And one of the things that was sort of intriguing about him is that he could help out off the mound as well as a reliever. I'm wondering if because he's swinging the bat so well, they're just letting him, letting him go and letting him, uh, letting him rake. It, which they should. I mean, you know, I, I've, I've made this argument for a while that I, I just think it's hard to do both. You look at Shohei Otani hasn't been able to stay healthy. Uh, Brandon McKay, Brendan McKay was so much better as a pitcher than a hitter, and now he's hurt too. I'm not saying it's because he was a two-way guy, but I, I think if you have a chance to, if, if you have a chance to be in the rotation or everyday player, I would not mess around with trying to have you do both. It's just it's too much. To me, it makes more sense to have the guys do both. If you're a utility guy or you're like a backup catcher slash pitcher, and with the way Cronenworth is hit. I mean, he's made himself a regular on, on, you know, what would be a playoff team in the National League right now, like very easily, I think would be the the top wild card. And, you know, it's funny because talking about guys keeping the role going, the week you were on vacation, Jonathan, I think so it was three weeks ago, I had the rookie assignment and that week it was hot rookies and it was Cronenworth then. It was right after he'd gone on, it's right when he'd started this role that hasn't stopped. And I talked about the fact that he was on our draft list our draft top 200 back when he was at Michigan, uh, you know, when the, when the Rays drafted him and I actually liked him more after talking to scouts as a pitcher, we, we, I wrote him up as a pitcher who also 
played. And at Michigan, he did everything, not just play different positions, but he'd be a reliever, then a starter, then a swing man. And basically, even though that's not easy, your role's constantly changing, you know, did well in whatever they asked him to do. Also, he was a, a part of the USA hockey developmental program too. So, I mean, he's, he's a good athlete, very versatile athletically. Um, and, you know, he was always a guy who could hit. He always put the bat on the ball. I'm not saying he's going to continue to hit, you know, whatever he's hitting now, uh, 347 with an ops over a thousand. But right now, I mean, I think, you know, the, the two hottest rookies of last week are your probable rookies of the year right now. Right. I mean, I, I got to think it's Kyle Lewis and Jake Corona. I think so. Yes. Uh, without, without question. I think, I think there are some pitchers who could, you know, we've, I remember at the beginning of the year, we're like, well, well, pitchers have logged enough innings. Um, and we'll have to kind of wait and see, but you know, like if Dustin May or Jesus Lazardo, who's been pitching really well, uh, continue to log a lot of innings, I think Lazardo's pitched in the seventh his last two starts. Then maybe they figure into the conversation, but they would have to be absolutely dominant from here on out. This is assuming that Lewis and Cronenworth keep performing like they're like they're performing. Well. I was going to say, Jonathan, what was interesting. We got to talk Tristan McKenzie. Yeah, no, I, I was going to say, and, and, you know, I mentioned this with Dane Dunning. Tristan McKenzie's another one of these guys who hadn't pitched in a game, a real game in two years. And all of a sudden he's in the big leagues. And, and, and Tristan McKenzie, not just in the big leagues, but, you know, it arrived emphatically. He, you know, first start, six innings, two hits, one run, strikes out 10 against only one walk. That's the second most strikeouts in an Indians debut ever going back to 1964. Luis Tiant had 11. That's the most. And he's first big leaguer with 10 strikeouts in his debut since Frave Peralta fan 13 in 2018. And, and this is a guy who wasn't just in the top 100 list, Jonathan. He was, I want to say, in the upper third. You know, He was in the 30s, if I remember correctly. Uh, you got the biggest bonus of any high school pitcher in the 2015 draft. Indians handled him very carefully. And in 2017, he kind of you know, broke out. He was high class A Carolina pitcher, Carolina League pitcher of the year, second in Myers and strikeouts. Really exciting. And he just hasn't been healthy since then. In, in 2018, he missed two months with forearm soreness. I remember talking to him in spring training 2019. And then I think they announced he was hurt like two days later. I don't know if I ever wrote the story on him. Maybe we just did as a video interview um, because he got hurt like within a day or two of me talking to him. He had an upper back strain, so he didn't pitch at all last year. And, you know, kind of an enigma trying to figure out exactly what he's going to be. Um, you know, when they drafted him, he was 6'5", 160 pounds. So, so, Jonathan, what's the word we would use to describe him? It's 6'5", 160, high school kid. Projectable, lanky. Yeah, projectable, both. But but I, I think I even went ultra projectable. I, I got super fancy. Um, and now here we are five years later. And do you want to guess what Tristan McKenzie weighs now? 165 pounds. Very good, yes. And uh, he's added five pounds. So I think in his case, he's 23. He may be more skinny than projectable. I don't know if he's going to get a lot stronger. And the question is, you know, is he going to hold up? Because he hasn't. Um, the last couple of years. Now that said, I mean, look great in his debut stuff plays pretty well. You know, he's got a, you know, his fastball, it's not, you know, unbelievable velocity. He sat it at 94, 95 in his, his first game, which is a little bit harder than usual, 
but it's a high spin fastball. So it's got good riding life. He commands it well. And the extension is so insane. with him. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, it plays better than that. And in that game, the, the opponents went one for 14 with nine strikeouts against his fastball. So the, the, the fastball was working pretty well. Um, you know, he, he's got feel for change up. He's got a, a curveball that's got good shape and spin. He's not going to be a light up the radar gun guy, but his stuff just plays up. And if he can hold up, I mean, here's another pitching prospect for the Indians. You know, it's funny, you know, when I, I, I do our Indians list and, you know, when you have a guy who hadn't pitched in, you know, well two over years. a year, two years, you know, it's like, yeah, well, I mean, I'm saying when I did the list in the off season, right. it's like, where, where do you put Tristan McKenzie? Like, you know, when he's healthy, last time we saw fully healthy Tristan McKenzie, he was one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. And so like, I wound up putting him ninth on our list, our Indians list, third behind recent first round picks, Daniel Spino and Ethan Hankins. Um, you know, we, I, we wouldn't redo the list based on one start. Um, you know, Tristan McKenzie, I'm not going to say pitches like this because I think it's kind of a high standard to expect 10 strikeouts in a one and a half ERA every game. But Tristan McKenzie pitches well when we, you know, tweak our list in the offseason. I don't know if we'll have a, a fall league of some sort, you know, to see more guys and base stuff on. But Tristan McKenzie probably jumps back up the list, the Indians list, you know, pretty aggressively if he keeps if he can build off of this. Yeah, it's it's an unbelievable story because I like I hadn't heard his name in in a really long time because I mean he the last time he threw a competitive pitch was at this time in 2018. So yeah, now granted, if this were a normal year, he would have been back in the minors and maybe he would have been putting up great numbers and we would have heard all about him. But uh, you know, it 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 is a really really interesting story. I hope he's able to 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 stay durable um always liked him always you know, liked him on the mound great to talk to as well and you know to to see him kind of bounce back from you know going from you said like one of the top pitching prospects in baseball to almost i don't want to say anonymity because people were keeping an eye on him he hadn't fallen out of the you know to the bottom of the indians list but you know, he's pretty far off at the top 100 or, or was and to see him do this is it's fun so i hope uh he's able to do it on a team that's you know hoping to go far into the into the postseason and, you know, i was gonna say one thing too it's interesting because it kind of plays in i mean the indians seem to just keep developing pitchers and with the whole mike clevenger zach please act controversy this you know gives them you know more ability to to wait on those guys and you know we we've i mean we're not the only ones but i mean it's obvious indians have plenty of pitching and not much in the way of outfielders Maybe McKenzie's emergence, if, if you buy in, allows you to trade a Clevenger or act to get some outfield help. Yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens. Speaking of trades, thank you for that segue. Um, let's finish things up by looking at uh, a story that just uh, just went up, where we you know we do a a weekly one for each team concept, and we move this one up uh, to to let it breathe for a while before the trade deadline we've got a week uh, still unclear exactly how active the trade deadline is going to be uh, given the unusual circumstances of the season but we picked a prospect for each team who could get traded um oh you know between now and and the deadline we'll have to see how many guys from from this list go it's it's awfully hard you know to to figure this out and a lot of the teams who are well out of the race are not likely to trade away prospects, but in some instances, 
there are, uh, you know, there's depth or redundancy or they're blocked at the big league level. So I'm going to, I'll start and you can, uh, you can bring us home, Jim. And uh, the, the two, two guys I have, well, the first is with the Braves and Kyle Muller um, is the, is the pitcher that I picked. And listen, the Braves are uh, winning the NL East. Uh, they've become now uh, an annual contender and they've shown a willingness to, uh, to trade away uh, from, from their strength uh, to help the, the big league team out. And, you know, I think one of two things can happen because they've had to shuffle their pitching staff quite a bit. Mike Soroka's out for the year. Uh, you know, Kyle Wright wasn't pitching all that well. Bryce Wilson has been up and down a bunch over the last few years. You know, we're, we're talking about the possibility of Ian Anderson making his major league debut somewhere around now. So there's the possibility that Kyle Muller gets called up. Yeah, and, and you need to help. It's always had good stuff. Lefty command has been a bit of an issue, uh, but there's going to be an interest in a big, strong lefty with good stuff. You know, they traded Joey Wentz, who was another high school lefty that they took in their 2016 draft class. Uh, and they dealt him to the Tigers to get Shane Green uh, at last year's deadline, and he's gone on, you know, to continue to be one of their mainstays and one of their most effective relievers. So I could definitely see an instance where they would decide to trade uh, a guy like Kyle Muller. The other guy that I'm picking is a little bit trickier, and that's Jonathan India. Uh, the Cincinnati Reds. Um, now the Reds currently are five games under 500. I, you know, the, they're technically what, three and a half games out of a, I don't even know how to figure out where, where the playoff <laughs> end, but they're not in the playoff picture right now. But as you stated, well, earlier, they're, you know what? They're, they're only a game and a half back in the wild card race because right now, uh, the Giants, or two games under 500, are the last wild card. Okay, so. so if they were to suddenly get hot, they could, they could climb back into it. And, and they were a team that some people thought could be like sneaky good, uh, but they've had a lot of trouble with their pitching. So if they wanted to trade a bat away, they could. Uh, Jonathan India, you know, was their what the number five overall pick. Uh, in the 2018 draft and then went on to have just a rough first full season he played through a wrist injury all year to in his defense um, then was in the Arizona Fall League and it's funny because he made it to double a his production was okay but it wasn't abysmal and then the Fall League he was it was terrible I think I don't know if he was out of gas uh, you know, the, the wrist was still bothering whatever it was. And before we started recording, Jim, you made a very good point that it had this been a regular season, we would have gotten a chance to see the re you know, whether or not Jonathan India, uh, was the guy that everyone loved coming out of the draft after his huge junior year of Florida and the power was legit uh, and he would get to it uh, a lot more consistently and cut down on the strikeouts and, and be more of the sort of top 100 caliber, uh, prospect we thought he was or if uh it wasn't just the wrist injury and you know it, and he was going to struggle to hit but we don't get the chance to see that he is in alternate camp um 
So he is getting some some reps. One of the hard things in terms of the the trade deadline to figure out, you know, is uh, teams aren't going in and scouting these guys, so they don't know what how he's looking, really. Um, you know, uh, there's was some talk of sharing data and video, but that hasn't happened. So I, I don't see this likely. But you know, we we saw that the Reds moved Nick Senzel off the dirt, where you know he could have been a third baseman. Jonathan Indy is a third baseman. He can play second base also. It's pretty crowded. Uh, so there was one guy that would be interesting. Like, do they trade him now before his value, you know, could potentially get lower, you know, if indeed the guy from last year is who he is. I think he's better than that. And I think it, you know, it was him trying to muscle through that injury, but we just don't know. No, I, I agree. And like you said, we, we were talking about this before we started recording. Like I died. This would have been a year where, I was curious to see how he do. I wanted to know because he he looked. I was there when he was really going bad in Arizona Fall League. I think he started two for thirty one, and I saw several of those games, and it was just crazy. And you go back and you look at that that two thousand eighteen draft. <laughs> now he was the fifth overall pick. Picks one through four are all in the big leagues right now. Casey Mize, Joey Bart, Alec Bohm, Nick Madrigal's on the DL, but they've all got promoted this year. And pick number six is Jared Kelnick, who I'm gonna go out on a limb. You know, and say that the Mariners aren't going to trade Jared Kelnick for Jonathan India right now. If the Reds called and made that offer, um, so you know th- there is some pressure on him. And you know, speaking of, of enigmas, and again, I mean, this story—you and I both acknowledge—this story is entirely speculative. I think when we did this as a team last year, of the 30 players we cited, you know, obviously different circumstances, you know, not COVID normal year. One of the 30 players got traded at the deadline, and two of them got traded in the off season, but. You know, hey, it's it's you know we're we're trying to guess, but you know when I when I you know we think about how enigmatic Jonathan India is, Force Whitley, you know, time out guys for teams I write up. I don't know what to do with Force Whitley anymore. Um, you know, 2017, first full season out of the draft, he he reaches Double A, which almost never happens for a high school kid. Zach Greinke did it, um, was one guy who did it. I, I think it was four guys in the 2000s who had done it. Um, and he, he was looked like, you know, at one point we had him ranked Jonathan as, as the game's best pitching prospect. 2018, he's suspended for 50 games. He has oblique and lat injuries, doesn't pitch much of the year after thinking like he might even be up in Houston that year. 2019, he has shoulder inflammation, command issues, doesn't pitch very much again after again thinking he's going to be a major part of the Astros for sure in 2019. This year between the pandemic and he's got a sore arm and alternative camp. You know, the Astros, I, I've lost count, Jonathan, but I think it was last time I looked, 12 rookie pitchers they've used this year. Their, their pitching staff has been a revolving door, and none of them has been forced Whitley because he, he's got a sore arm. And, you know, I don't know, like, frankly, where exactly I'm supposed to rank him, like, on the top 100 the next time we, we, we do that again. But, you know, I wonder, you know, this is a guy who Jeff Lunau you know, used to call untouchable. They wouldn't include him in deal for potential deal for Chris Sale. They wouldn't include him in the Granky deal last year. Um, when they got him from the Diamondbacks, um, you know, the Astros, you know, they're because they're getting guys closer to free agency. Um, you know, do the Astros trade him now while, while he still has a, a, a you know good value, maybe not as high as it once was, but before it takes more of a hit and their championship window might be closing. You know, if you're another team, yeah, there's some questions, but could you, could you buy low on him? And, you know, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, when he's healthy, when he's on, he can shoot you five different pitches that are plus pitches. And, you know, I mean, I, 
I've made this joke before. I, I think the Dimebacks should trade for him because you and I have seen him in the Arizona Fall League the last two years. He's pitched great in Arizona. So <laughs> maybe, the maybe the Dimebacks, maybe, maybe, that, maybe that's what he needs. But, um, you know, th- th- there's still some talent there. And then the other one I think would be more realistic, except, you know, he's a, he's a top 100 prospect like Willie also. I think it'd be more realistic because he's kind of blocked a little bit. And, he, and they've got catchy prospects coming up behind him. Is K. Bear Ruiz with the Dodgers, who homered in, in his first big league at bat over the weekend. He, he was up to replace Will Smith, who had a neck injury that kept him out for 10 days. Um, I, I like K. Bear Ruiz. I think he's got a chance to be a solid all around catcher offensively and defensively. Um, he's still really young. Um, he just turned 22. But, you know, they've got Will Smith, they got Austin Barnes, who's an effective backup. They've got Diego Cartaya, who was a top international prospect in baseball, who they signed a couple of years ago, coming up behind him. And, you know, I think if they wanted to make a blockbuster deal, you could, you know, rationalize trading K-Bear Ruiz. <laughs> the problem is, I look at the Dodgers, uh, what are you going to trade for? Like, the, the, the roster's loaded. So I, I don't necessarily think they're going to trade K-Bear Ruiz. But, you know, if they wanted to – the Dodgers have so much talent, big league wise and minor league wise, and they're so stacked at so many positions that basically if anybody's on the block, we saw it with Mookie Betts, although that was somewhat financially motivated. But I think if anybody's on the block and the Dodgers want him, they could probably they go get him. It. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, it's they've managed uh, to hold on to their top, top prospects while making trade, you know, trades. Yes, they traded Jeter Downs, uh, but. Um, you know, it's, uh, if they've been able to hold on to Lux and May and Ruiz, you know, so it'll be interesting to see what happens and we will, uh, we'll get to find out, uh, as we approach this, uh, very strange and unusual trade deadline in a strange and unusual year. And we will, uh, we will come back to you, uh, one week from now to, uh, to discuss what did transpire in the trade deadline from a prospect uh, standpoint. So that'll do it for another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. Talk to everybody next week.